0: Welcome everybody back to the Oklahoma drill podcast. I am your host, Andrew. I got my co-host Matt here with me as always. And today we're going to go through something pretty fun, a little extensive, but definitely worth looking at as it is the off season. And we are patiently awaiting for the jets training camp to begin and get ready for what we expect to be a pretty great 2022 season. What Matt and I are going to go through today is we are going to grade Joe Douglas across his first couple of years as a general manager and compare him to some of the other GMs around the league who have had success and who have also not had so much success. And across their uh, same amount of time frame, Douglas has been in charge in New York uh, compared to where these three other GMs have been with their other teams. And those three other teams being the Buffalo Bills and Brandon Bean, their general manager, Chris Boward the general manager of the Indianapolis Colts, and last but not least, Dave Gettleman, the former general manager of the New York Giants. Matt, let's jump right into this. First things first, we're going to take a look at the Buffalo Bills. That is the gold standard of team building and organization. Right now in the NFL, and their GM Brandon Bean is a big, uh, big part of that. So let's go ahead and list off. I'll let you go ahead and start. What are some of the biggest additions the Bills had in uh, 2018? For the record, Brandon Bean was hired in 2017, but like Joe Douglas, it was after the draft and after most of the offseason that year. So Bean didn't really get a chance to mold the roster until the year after, and that's when he really got his opportunity to put his fingerprints all over this team. What did Bean do in 2018, Matt? So once Bean joined.
1: Uh, and of course, he, he joined at a time at a very weird time, like you said, after free agency and after the draft. Uh, so he was kind of uh, working with a team uh, that wasn't really his just yet. He didn't really get a chance to put his stamp on it, uh, even though that 2017 free agency and draft for the Bills uh, was probably the best at, out of all the years that we're going to be talking about uh, and really kind of gave Bean that. That, a nice little safety net, uh, a nice little cushion, a nice little foundation to build off of. Uh, so in 2018, uh, when he started Free Agency, uh, he brought in some, some names, some nobody... Well, actually, no, he did spend quite a bit on Star Uh, uh But then other than him, it was guys like Chris Ivory uh, and, uh, and, and Crowder. So it's, it, was, uh, it, it wasn't a lot of star power there. Uh, Not a lot of uh, guys that really jump out at you. Uh, And then in that draft, uh, but it didn't really matter because in that draft, they soon got Allen, their franchise quarterback. Of course, nobody really knew that yet. Uh, Everybody's still trashing the the bills for taking Allen. Uh, Probably actually no, definitely me included in that. Uh, Same here, unfortunately, I, I feel like just about the entire NFL world. Other than Bills fans, actually, I would I would think even Bills fans at that point were like, "What are we doing?" Uh, but it all worked out, and then they got Tremaine Edwards, uh, and then uh, they rounded out their uh, their secondary with Teron Johnson and Levi Wallace. Uh, like I said in in 2017, uh, they already had a pretty good secondary with White, Poyer, and Hyde, so adding. Teron Johnson and Levi Wallace kind of just rounded out that group. Uh, so that secondary was armed and dangerous at that point. Uh, and that, that was 2018. That was kind of the, the year that made this team uh, along with what they already had in 2017. Between those two years, uh, that pretty much set the stage for the team that, we're see, that we see right now, the team that we're really going to be looking up at and need to beat in order to really be anything.
0: Yeah, they are uh, the gold standard and they started it off as we're going to see is going to be pretty much the main theme of this study that we did. It's all about the quarterback and they decided that they needed to go all in and get their future franchise quarterback in 2018. They had Tyrod Taylor the year before. They won nine games. They're pretty sure they made the playoffs. Uh, Sean McDermott was his first year in Buffalo as a head coach, and things seemed to be okay. Their defense was playing really, really well. They drafted Trey White in the first round, who's become one of the best players, if not the best player on their defense, and a stalwart for them. Uh, They had a lot of players in place that became really, really important to what they were able to do as a team. And they realized that that wasn't good enough. And Bean said, we need to make our own team. We need to set ourselves on our own course. We need to be on our own timeline. And Tyrod Taylor was able to be okay, but he's not going to be what's going to take us to the promised land and potentially win us a championship. We got to go get our guy. And coming from Carolina, not only uh, Sean McDermott, but Brandon Bean himself, they were around Cam Newton for a long time. And I know for a fact that that had an influence and a reason as to why they took Josh Allen and as to why they were comfortable with his development and letting him were on the job and using his talent in specific ways, specifically like we saw as a rookie with how good he was as a runner. Um, I think it definitely had a big influence on their decision-making and right from the get-go, that was their plan. We're going to get our quarterback in 2018 and we're going to start our process right now. Yeah. And like I said, there, there wasn't a lot of symmetry between, Whaley
1: and McDermott before, uh, but with Bean, I think that they had symmetry right away and they were able to feed off each other and really find the quarterback that they wanted, no matter what the rest of the league said, uh, and sort of to tie this into the JD, uh, I feel like the connection that JD and Sala had right away, uh, also made them comfortable enough to really go after the quarterback that they really wanted And they knew that they didn't have it in Darnold, just like Bean and McDermott knew that they didn't have it in Tyrod. So it's all about coaches and GMs really meshing together and going after the quarterback
0: that they need to really make it in this league. Yeah, absolutely. And the most important part uh, for each team in particular, and I've said this multiple, multiple times on this podcast, and I'll continue to say it over and over, teams need to have an identity. And they need to know what that identity is. And they need to find the guys that fit that identity and will allow them to play the way they want to play. The bills knew they are a cold weather team. They knew that they are going to win with having a strong defense. That's going to carry on the road wherever they go. And they need to have an offense that needs to be dangerous, but needs to have a quarterback that a has the arm talent to win in the elements and B can be a man and go make plays by himself. Like they just watched cam Newton do in Carolina for a handful of years. And know how important it is to have that athletic talent at quarterback. They saw that in Josh Allen. And despite some of his passing flaws that he has miraculously fixed. And I think that's important to note here is that Josh Allen deserves a lot of credit for making himself better and working to improve a lot of his flaws. And the Buffalo coaching staff deserves credit for setting him up for su- success and being patient. But overall, they saw his physical talent, his ability to run, his strong arm, his ability to make plays in the move. and to just go be Superman like they saw Cam Newton do. And it's what really resonated with them. And it gave their team an identity. We're going to be this tough, strong team. It's going to have a strong defense. It's going to have a tough quarterback. We're going to run the football. We're going to have you know a, a guy that we can rally behind and win. And it's going to be just like we did in Carolina when McDermott and Bean were both there in 2015 and they went to the Super Bowl that was the plan they decided we want to replicate as soon as they got in the building and they put in the places to do it. And like you said, Matt, I think it's very similar to how Robert Sala and Joe Douglas are. And I think this is important to note when we're looking at the first year of the bills and the first year of the jets, Joe Douglas was in a situation in his first year in New York and really his first um, off season and, and situation in New York for a long time when he didn't have control. And He was controlling the team and making the decisions, but he had Adam Gase to work with. And he was, as a good general manager should, trying to fit players into that scheme, trying to work with that coach and work that coaching staff to give them the best players to execute what they wanted. But that wasn't the right fit from a coaching perspective. Once they got Robert Sala in the building, it seemed like things really started to turn around. So if you look at the Jets first year and you compare that, they went out, they knew they had to improve their offensive line. Sam Darnold was coming off uh, his rookie season. They had hired a new head coach um, to handle things for him. And year two didn't work so well. They did everything they could to uh, not support him. They gave him, I believe that's the year they signed Crowder in free agency at receiver. They didn't really do much on the offensive line. And Joe Douglas gets in Sam Darnold needs protection. They draft Makai Becton. They sign George Fant. They take Denzel Mims in the second round to try and give him some offensive help. They draft a running back in Michael P Ryan that, Adam Gase really liked. And I think that's pretty much the only reason that that ended up being a signing. And they went with what they thought their coaching staff wanted. The goal of 2019 in the first year of Joe Douglas's tenure was protect the quarterback that they had, who was still young and they were hoping to thrive. The goal for the bills in their first year was get that quarterback. The timelines are slightly different, but when we advance now to 2019 for the bills, this is kind of similar to now where we are at this season for the jets. This is, we have our quarterback. Let's load him up in year two and give him as much help as possible. When you look at the Bills 2019 their additions, it's pretty much all on the offensive side of the ball. Their defense was already good and they said we don't need to do anything to really help that. So they signed Cole Beasley and John Brown as receivers. They added four new starters on the offensive line and Quentin Spain, Mitch Morse, John Feliciano, and Cody Ford. They added Devin Singletary at running back. They added Dawson Knox at tight end. They attacked every position on their offense around their quarterback to make him better. And what we saw the Jets do this year was very similar for Zach Wilson. And I think that had a lot to do for setting up the Bills for uh, success. In 2018, with Allen as their first-year starter as a rookie, they went 6-10. and 10. In 2019, after setting him up for success in year two, they went 10-6. and six. A huge improvement.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, the, the similarities there between what they did to really build around their quarterback uh, it's kind of undeniable uh, Cole Beasley, John Brown. But the John Brown pick for uh, uh, free agent signing uh, was the big one to meet because they knew what they had in Josh Allen's arm. They Agreed. knew that he's the kind of guy that's going to buy time and then be able to just chuck it a million miles down the field. And John Brown was the speedster they want to the, the be on the receiving end of those bombs. Um, of course, things never really worked out for Brown. Uh, long-term for the Bills, but at the same time, they showed that what they wanted to do. Uh, And they, of course, it didn't work out with Brown, but they definitely didn't stop trying, uh,
0: which definitely shows in 2020. Absolutely. Yeah. In, In 2019, they added a bunch of different pieces to try and help their quarterback and to really improve at all positions. The only major piece they added on defense that year was Ed Oliver, which was a very good major piece for them, but he was pretty much the only addition. And then you look at 2020 and they went 13-3 and this year, so you can't argue and say that it was successful. A lot of it had to do with Josh Allen really flourishing, and even more of it had to do with the fact that they traded their first-round pick for Stephon Diggs. That was the swing for the fences, go get a proven superstar to pair with our quarterback who we're now pretty confident in and see if we can't take this guy to even another level, give him even more help, and not just be satisfied after what we've done in his second year. Besides Stephon Diggs, they pretty much didn't do anything that helped them. Most of their draft from 2020 has not had very, uh, has not been very uh, in very well for them in the first couple of years of them playing. AJ Epinesa was their first pick in the second round. Obviously, they didn't have a first-round pick for trading for Diggs. He has only had two and a half sacks in two years. Um, they've had a couple of other guys on their um, draft class that just really haven't shown up or done anything uh, that have affected their team. Their defensive starters have been pretty much the same for years and they haven't had to have any uh, additions there because they're so used to the scheme and play so well, they have it intact. It's just been Allen's development and how they've surrounded him with talent to help that development that's really been the difference.
1: Yeah, and the funny thing is that that offensive line is not great. It Uh, really isn't. It's not. It's their entire offense is Allen being able to maneuver the pocket uh, and extend plays and just use his arm to will this team to be good uh, and his legs as well. So there's not a lot there. So it's a little different than, than JD's approach uh, because yes, they uh, gave him the firepower, uh, but JD is kind of building a team that Salah is really looking for, which is a team that wants to run the ball with running backs. A lot more than with their quarterback Zach Wilson, Uh, so this requires more of uh, more more name power, more actual production from the offensive line, Uh, and you saw JD make this push uh, year one, even though a lot of these signings were not great uh, with uh, uh, what's his name Uh, Van Rotten, uh, and and Stanton really never really took off until last year. Uh, Connor McGovern as well. Yeah, I I would say that he had the right idea, though, to get the offensive line build up
0: from the trenches uh, and see how everything else develops behind that. Absolutely. And Joe Douglas being a former offensive lineman and the uh, backgrounds of teams that he's worked with before in Baltimore and Philadelphia um, and the time that he spent there, mainly Baltimore, they're all teams that are built in the trenches. They're built up front on both sides of the ball, always. Every single year at, every, like at all times, period. That is where they win. Baltimore Ravens breed offensive and defensive linemen. The Philadelphia Eagles live for offensive and defensive linemen. The San Francisco 49ers live for offensive and defensive linemen. It's the same sort of idea. And you have these two men as a coach and a GM that have the exact same philosophy at their core. And once those guys partnered, we're really starting to see how this identity of the team is taking shape. It was a little harder to see that identity when Adam Gase was still the coach. Now everything's in lockstep and there's a clear plan. And the guys that are in the coaching staff and giving their opinions on the players that they're adding to the organization are guys they really want. And the GMs feel the exact same way. That's when you start to get something special. So there's a lot of similarities between Buffalo and New York and the first couple of years between Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott and Robert solid and Joe Douglas. The only difference is the win column where if you look at the first three years of Brandon, Bean, Brandon Bean, he went 29 and 19. And if you look at the first three years of Joe Douglas, if I do some math off the top of my head, I believe it's like 13 and 30 something. Um, it's not great. In losses. <laughs> it's not great. No 13 wins in three years, whatever the losses end up shaking out to it's less than five wins per season. So if you look at the record column, it hasn't really shown up for Joe Douglas, but the timeline has been slightly shifted when you consider the coaching change and the quarterback change. You're really only starting to judge things if you want to compare it to Buffalo from last year onward, where you have a coach and GM in the same place, you have a rookie quarterback, and how are you going to do over the next three years from there? That's really where you're going to be able to compare the Jets to the Buffalo Bills. Next, I think it's going to be really important to look at the opposite end of the spectrum. And that's what a truly bad general manager and a bad organization being ran looks like to show that even though the record may not reflect it, the Jets definitely did a lot more and have done a lot more than what their record indicates compared to the New York Giants and Dave Gettleman. Matt, tell us about Dave Gettleman's tenure because it's a doozy. Uh, Yeah, it is.
1: It's just a lot of ugly. Uh, He he took over from Jerry Reese, uh, an all-time bad. Giants team. I think
0: they went yep. what, 13 and 13 3 the year prior. Yeah, it, it was a three and 13. It was horrible. Or three uh, and 13, excuse me. Not 13 and 3. No, they did not <laughs> go 13 <laughs> and 3. They went three and 13. My bad. A lot of numbers on this episode. Yep. And then they brought in Pat Schumer,
1: who hasn't had a winning season as a head coach in his entire head coaching career. Uh, and it, he didn't start with the Giants either. So it it was a mess from the beginning. Uh they still had Eli Manning uh, for that first year, but it was obvious that they really needed to look for his replacement. Uh, and it didn't seem like they really had a plan for that, uh, even though it was considered a very strong quarterback year uh, with yep. uh, Mayfield, Darnold, Allen, Jackson, so it
0: they, they had the quarterback and, was, and Rosen at the time and Rosen. I, I forget Rosen. Uh, yeah, I know we forget Rosen. Some, <laughs> some of us had him QB one, but they don't need to talk about that. Oh well, yeah. Well, we'll leave that for another day. Uh, yeah. But at the same
1: time, they didn't have any, any vision at all. And it showed in the draft when they didn't take a quarterback and they took Squan in, instead. Uh, and I'm a, I love swan too. I, I thought he was great. I thought he would be, a great jet as well. But at the same time, the logical thing for any team to do in that situation is to find their franchise quarterback. We d- try, thought we did that with Arnold. We made the moves that we needed to do to get the guy that we thought was our franchise quarterback, but the giants did not. They kind of kicked that can down the road uh, and thought that they could build the team from, uh, from the, the talent out to the quarterback and it just didn't work out. And it wasn't even like, really a bad draft either because they had BJ Hill, who I really like. Will Hernandez who's probably like a middling guard, uh, on defense. Uh, they brought in, uh, Alec Ogletree in free agency. Uh, the offensive line was absolutely horrible, horrible, uh, in the, in 2017 and didn't really get much better. They, uh, they brought in Nate soldier, but, uh, in the end, that offensive line was not good, and Squan uh, got hurt, and it's, it was just
0: a mess from the beginning. Yeah, it really was, and this is another point, What going back to my point on identity, and this is where I think it's really, really obvious, where if you look at Dave Gettleman, Dave Gettleman for years when he was with the Panthers and he was with you with know, other teams before that, forever, Everyone said that he's going to focus on the trenches and he's going to focus on the running game and they're going to be, you know, they're going to be a power football team. And that's what Dave Gettleman's going to focus on. It's his hog mollies. That's what Dave Gettleman's mm-hmm. always going to be about. This team was not built within a shared identity from their coaching staff and their ownership and their general manager. And with an overall goal of the team in place, it was built in Dave Gettleman's identity, regardless of whether that's what they needed to be doing or not. And I think that's where you see the problem here is that as we go through with this uh, Dave Gettleman's tenure, it's a lot of additions that fit the guys that he likes and may not have been the best fits for what the Giants needed. And they did a lot of additions to their offensive line in his first year in uh, 2018. They had went three and 13 the year prior. They ended up going five and 11 in 2018 improved by two wins, but by still no means anything that had them set up for success. They signed Nate Solder in free agency to a massive contract at the time. They traded for a new right garden, Jamon Brown in the middle of the season. They signed a starting center and Spencer Pulley, who only lasted a year. They tried to throw talent on that offensive line. And they tried to improve. And another part that we'll see is the giants kept trying to add linebackers as well. Even when it necess- didn't necessarily work out, they signed Alec Ogletree to a big money deal. And the second he got to New York, he was awful and they kept him around for a couple of years. Cause they had paid him so much money and there was nothing they could do. Uh, they then jumping ahead of myself a little bit, but they add Marcus golden in 2019 and he stays for a year, then goes back to uh, Arizona. And, plays okay for them and then goes back to Arizona and plays even better. They had a handful of these situations where they had Dave Gettleman's idea of what they wanted to do. And it didn't matter to anybody else, coaching staff, anyone else in the building, any of their scouts or anything, they were going to do things, Dave Gettleman's way, even if it killed them. And it ended up killing them (laughs) to be quite frank. It really ended up killing them. We jump ahead now to 2019. This is the Daniel Jones year. Eli Manning is now gone. He is retired. Uh, they're figuring out who is going to be the successor and what they're going to do at quarterback. And replacing a guy like Eli Manning is never easy. And they basically just tried to replace him with another Eli Manning and Daniel Jones. Even though for a handful of years, it was obvious Eli Manning wasn't cutting it. it yeah, it, it's, I think that they saw Daniel Jones. Yeah,
1: they, he looks a little like Eli Manning too, which uh, was a little creepy. Uh, but yeah, it, it, they saw a guy and maybe they thought that they could get lucky the way the Bills maybe got lucky with uh, with Allen, and that a guy that had to do, uh, do a lot, uh, work on a lot to get to where he would need to be to be an NFL quarterback. Uh, and he just never took that step. He still hasn't taken that step. No. <laughs> it's And yet, he's still their starting quarterback somehow. I don't know how that's still a thing. Uh, but Hey, Giants are really sticking to it, See, seeing what, what sticks to the wall. I, I don't see much. Uh, and it's not like they haven't like drafted good players in this time either. Dexter nope. Lawrence, I like. Uh, the Darius Slayton, the, the wide receiver, I like him. Uh, 2020, Andrew Thomas, uh, I, I like. Uh, Lemieux, the guard from uh, Oregon, I like him. They, they've got guys that...
0: Xavier McKinney's a good Xavier safety. McKinney,
1: yeah, like, these, these aren't bad guys. So I I wouldn't say he's been a bad drafter. But, again, there's no plan. There's no identity. We we keep harping on this, but it, it's very important. It's crucial. without that, it's just dart throws, and he might be hits on a few, but if yep. there's no vision or really a guide for them to follow, then what's the point? It's all just names out there. Uh, And egos clashing together, and it doesn't really flow. It doesn't come together into a cohesive
0: team that can win. There is a lot more to team building than just amassing talent. And I think that is really, really understated when it comes to this. And that's why these guys get paid a lot of money. That's why it takes a lot of hard work and a lot of time doing other jobs and building your way up to get to the opportunity to be an NFL general manager, because this is not easy. And you are navigating a very, very tight situation with all of your moves and everything you do potentially having a butterfly effect on everything else. And if you don't have a clear vision and a clear goal and a clear plan, you're going to get lost at sea. There's no other way to put it. And that's what the Giants did. That's what happened to the New York Giants under Dave Gettleman is they didn't have a plan. They were just trying to amass talent in the way that Dave Gettleman thought best and throw it all together and hope it works. And there was no cohesion. There was no vision. There was no true planning. It was more just reacting. And you can't be reactive. You have to be forward thinking and you have to have a plan for the future. And that's where I think Joe Douglas and Robert Sala, again, relating back to them, deserve a lot of credit. They have a plan, they've had a plan from the second they met each other and had their interview for head coach. And that plan has been the same, and they've attacked it in every way that they can and the best ways that they can. And so far, it seems to be working. We may not have seen the results on the scoreboard yet, but we're expecting to see some improvement. And as we saw with Buffalo, it didn't happen overnight either. So I think there's a lot to be learned, especially now as we get into the last year of the New York Giants in 2020, where they went 4 and 12 in 2019. They were 5 and 11 the year before. They went 6 and 10 in 2020. So they've never done but never did better than six and 10 in these first three years under Dave Gettleman. Again, didn't really improve anywhere. We're still towards the bottom of the NFL. Haven't really seen much improvement. Similar to say that for Joe Douglas, although you're dealing with a different timeline of coaches and quarterbacks. 2020, they had Blake Martinez at linebacker, Kyler Fackrell at linebacker, corner and James Bradbury, who had a good year for them varies was a pro bowler that year free safety and logan ryan and then like you said they added andrew thomas Xavier mckinney shane lemieux in the draft but what was the plan it's the second year of daniel jones did i mention any offensive skill players on that list Mm -hmm. did i mention any more help besides saquon barkley and i'm pretty sure that was the year they traded odell beckham or yeah. the year prior they traded Odell Beckham because that's when they had the, had the extra first-round yeah. picks. So you have, you've already lost Odell. It's been a year afterwards since you haven't had Odell, and you're not finding anyone else to step into that role. You're not finding yeah. anyone else to, to, to make any improvement. You're going to say, we're going to fix our offensive line, and we're going to run the ball with Saquon, and that's going to make Daniel Jones better. Where's the plan? Where's the identity? Uh, not to go back to
1: 2019 for too long, but another thing that just stuck out to me was the – the Leonard Williams trade at the trade deadline when they were nowhere even close to being a playoff team where they need to really go out and pick up a guy like Leonard Williams, It, it made no sense at the time and they're just giving up good draft picks too for this guy. Even though Leonard Williams, like we said, is a good talent and has played well for them. But at the same time, why, why it's, just but what, is, what is the any,
0: anything. functional purpose of Leonard Williams being a good player for them? How has that helped them win? It hasn't. And if you look one more year further, not to extend this really into a study and any longer than Dave Gettleman had than Joe Douglas has had, but 2021 was Dave Gettleman's last year as a general manager with the Giants. They went four and 13. They, they were worse. They never improved. They never got better. And it resulted in the Giants cleaning house and hiring a new head coach and a new general manager this past offseason. This is what happens when you don't have a plan. This is what happens when you don't have an identity. You fail, and you're not going to get anywhere. So for Joe Douglas, we better hope to start seeing results this year and very, very soon, because otherwise it's going to look like the plan is failing. Yeah. And
1: that's the thing,
0: is that with with J.D.,
1: we we see the vision. We see guys that have a lot of potential, but we haven't seen that potential met. So even though we have a plan, if the talent isn't there, then it's not going to really equate to anything either. And the record will show the same thing. Uh, so it's, it's worrisome, but also exciting at the same time, because it's the first time we've really seen a plan from the Jets in a very long time. Uh, and that alone is exciting. Uh, but at the same time, we really need to just whoo, take a beat. Because we're not that far off from being the Giants if things don't pan off.
0: No. And I think that's the the point to drive home when comparing the Jets and the Giants is that if you look at the plan and you look at the moves and you look at what these teams did in the same amount of time frame, it's obvious that the Jets' brain trust is a far better idea of what they're doing than the Giants' brain trust did. And that they have a much clearer plan in place, that they have a very clear idea of what they want, what they want to build, how they want to build it, and what resources they're going to use to do that. But if you look at the win totals, it's very similar. And that's the the kind of middle of the road thing, is how do we grade Joe Douglas when you win the offseason? Quite frankly, that's what it is. You're winning the offseason, but it's not quite yet resulting to results on the field. That's why this year is going to be really important because we all believe they crushed this offseason and that they did everything they could in any way to make this team better and there's really few if any moves that any of us have any disagreements with or don't think are going to be solid in the roles they're envisioned to perform but if it doesn't result that way and wins it's not going to matter
1: yeah it's
0: uh, very well said it's
1: it just won't matter i got into an argument with somebody the other day that was saying this was an all-world uh, offseason and already giving it a grade like, i can't do that i can't look at no this offseason with the that green colored glasses it's it's just impossible for me i need to see it on the field i i've been a jet fan for far too long to have seen enough great off seasons that amount to absolutely nothing uh So it's all about time. It's all about what happens in actual game scenarios. Uh, But you know what? If things do click, uh, then who knows what we could be? We could either be the Bills or a team we haven't talked about
0: yet, the Colts. Yeah, and I think quite honestly, when you're looking at the stories of these teams, I think the Colts and the Jets are the most similar. And I think there's a lot of things that that have happened between the two for better or for worse, that have really set these teams on similar trajectories in, in, in a lot of different ways. First things first, the Colts had their quarterback when Chris Ballard took over in 2017. Chris Ballard took over for, uh, for Ryan Grayson, who was the Colts general manager for a long time before that. And after they drafted Andrew Luck in 2012 to succeed, uh, succeed Peyton Manning, it became pretty clear that he was successful. And in his first couple of years at the helm, they were a great team. They were making the playoffs. Luck was one of the best quarterbacks in the league and looked like he was well on his way to having a long, successful career. And the Colts were going to be just the way they were with Peyton Manning all over again. But Ryan Grigson just failed to support Andrew Luck. And it's a testament to Andrew Luck for how good that he was those handful of years in Indianapolis when he first started, because he was dealing with a general manager that a lot of people didn't feel like was giving him any help. That's why Chris Ballard found his way to Indianapolis. And when he first got there, Andrew Luck couldn't play. He was dealing with an injury from the year before, and he had to miss pretty much all of 2017. And it resulted in them going four and 12 in 2017 in Boward's first year. They had some pretty solid additions, They added a wide receiver in Kamar Aiken, who I believe was in Baltimore before that, who a lot of people were expecting to take another big leap. Or if Andrew Luck was the quarterback and not Jacoby Brissett, maybe it would have been better. Um, They added some defensive tackles in Al Woods and Jonathan Hankins. They added Ball Sheard at defensive end, who was a a force for them. And then later in Tennessee, the same thing. Um, And in the the draft, they added a couple of players that maybe were okay to start really tailed off towards the end and a couple of guys towards the end of the draft. And one guy, they claimed off waivers who have become kind of stalwarts for them. So in the draft, they get Malik hooker in the first round. Uh, they get Quincy William, Quincy Wilson at corner uh, who jets fans should remember. And also who jets fans should remember, they get Terrell Basham later on as well. Mm-hmm. After that, they had Marlon Mack. And then, in my opinion, the best addition they had in 2017, they claim Kenny Moore off waivers from the Patriots in September of that year who was an undrafted player who New England signed did made it through training camp, got cut right as roster cuts happened was a waiver claim by the Colts. And he's been one of their starting corners basically ever since the year after that. So the Colts, they had some solid additions. Chris Ballard made some solid moves in his first year, but without Andrew Luck and without that quarterback, like we said at the top here, it didn't matter. So it's, it's a pretty tough situation, but Overall, 2017 is a first year of an introduction. It was a pretty solid one for Chris Ballard. See, now,
1: the thing is that Ballard didn't address one of the biggest needs that I think he really needed to. Uh, One of the most glaring issues with the Colts was luck and him being able to stay healthy. And a large reason why he wasn't able to stay healthy was because of that offensive line. They really didn't do anything to address it. Even in 2017, uh, that 2017 offensive line also wasn't great, the year that Luck missed the entire season. Uh, other than uh, Costanzo, uh, really all you had was Ryan Kelly at, at center. There really wasn't a lot else there. Uh, so maybe that played an, uh, another role in, in why Luck maybe wasn't really feeling this career path anymore. Uh he and then by the time 2018 rolled around, it might have been too late at that point, even though he had a great year coming back from that injury. Uh, it just at that point just wore him out, even though he got Quentin Nelson now. Uh, even though they have Braden Smith, even though they have Mark uh, Lewinsky, they at that point had that offensive line, but it didn't matter,
0: he was worn down. And it was just too late. Yeah. And that's, I think, a really important thing to make here is I agree Chris Ballard could have potentially done something more to supplant that offensive line in 2017. But it sounds like the damage to Andrew Luck had already been done and that even if they would have added those players to block in front of him, he wouldn't have been playing anyway. So who knows how much of an impact that would have made when they still had Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. I agree that that was definitely a focus that should have been taken, but I can understand a little bit as to why they didn't if they knew there was a big chance Luck wasn't going to be playing all year. You flash forward to 2018, and Luck is healthy. And this team goes 10-6. and Andrew Luck throws for 4,500 yards and 39 touchdowns and is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL again. I If I'm remembering correctly, I think he might have even won an Offensive Player of the Year or a comeback player of the year. Maybe that's what it was. Uh, They had a great season, and the Colts were a very solid team again. And right back in the thick of things in the playoffs, you look at their additions, they had Eric Ebron at tight end, who I think made the Pro Bowl that year in Indianapolis. They drafted Quinn Nelson, who's been one of the best guards in the NFL from the second he started. They took Braden Smith, who's been a multi year starter on their offensive line in multiple positions. They add D'Anico Wattry at defensive tackles, another underrated guy on the interior who's played a lot of snaps. And oh, by the way, Darius Leonard. Darius Leonard. <laughs> yeah, uh, Are one of the best linebackers in the NFL, period, and the leader of their defense who they take at the top of the second round. That was with uh, one of their own picks. Right after that, they were able to get Braden Smith, who they got from the Sam Darnold trade. So they moved back. That's another important thing to, to throw at Chris Bauer here. We give Joe Douglas all the time credit for trading Jamal Adams and trading Sam Darnold. Well, we need to give Chris Ballard credit for picking up three seconds from the Jets and being able to move back, take the player at six and Quentin Nelson that he very likely would have taken third overall anyway, and just pick up three extra twos over three more years for nothing. It's a really, really solid trade. The Jets did what they had to do to go and get their quarterback and make sure they were in range of one of the guys they wanted. But from the Colts' perspective, this is a great move by Chris Bauer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And with that, that 2018 free agency
1: and draft, they really built the structure of that team going forward. Uh, even though the, at this point they still have luck uh, going forward, that wasn't going to be the case. And they really set the stage for a team that can win no matter who's the quarterback. Uh, and that and that shows going forward, because once they lost them, then at that point, it's all about, all right, we have the team, we have the offensive line, we have a defense that is very solid, uh, led by Darius Leonard. Uh, and then they brought in Justin Houston in, uh, in 2019. And... They, they have guys that can really come together and lead this team to win, and now it's just all about finding that vet quarterback because at this point, after going 10-6, and six, they were not in a great position to find another quarterback in the draft. So it's all about maintaining the team they have and going as far as they can with quarterbacks that they can find on the market.
0: Yeah, and there's a really important part here that I don't want us to skip over, and I want to make sure that we make note of this, because it's another reason as to why the Colts situation and the Jets situation is very similar. They got Andrew Luck back healthy in 2018. That was definitely a big help. They also hired Frank Reich to be their head coach. And they had left Chuck Pagano, moved on from him, hired an offensive coach from Uh, in Frank Reich to take over to help build an offense around Andrew Luck to help get him in a position to succeed and it worked immediately and since then Frank Reich has been the head coach in Indianapolis he and Chris Ballard seem to be very much on the same page and like you said Matt they have a team that's built very well overall they've added a lot of quality players I think quite honestly unfortunately where we talk about timelines and what people have done in their first few years. One of the other reasons I think this is so similar to New York is I think Ballard has done some of his best work after these few years have happened. In the last couple of years, and the last couple of drafts, adding players like Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman uh, and uh, Quiddy Pay and really reshaping that roster more from that angle. But the quarterback has been the issue. Luck retires. They go 10 and 6. Like you said, they're out of position to draft another one. They signed Philip Rivers, who plays the last year of his career before he retires. And they go seven and nine in 2019. The only real addition they added was Justin Houston. They really, the draft, their draft was awful. It was Rocky Sin. uh, It was a couple of other players that didn't amount to really anything. Paris Campbell, who hasn't done much. You know, they really didn't do much in 2019 to help this team and it was kind of like the shell shock of Andrew Luck retiring, they thought the team was built. They didn't need to add more. They went through all of their offseason thinking, we have our quarterback. He just threw for 4,500 yards and almost 40 touchdowns, and we went 10-6, and and we're good. The draft didn't work out. Luck retired. They go 7-9. and And now they're kind of in purgatory. And I think that's kind of the thing where it's a really tight balancing act because I think in the back of a lot of Jets fans' heads right now, There's some people saying, if Zach doesn't work out, we have a team that's built and we'll be ready to win on top of that. And another quarterback can step in and be primed to succeed without having to rebuild the entire team. The other hand of that is you might be too good to get one of the best quarterbacks. And you might be stuck at the mercy of what's available on the free agent or trade market. And you might have to maybe make some unconventional moves to get something done, or you might have to bottom out. And if you look at the Colts, they did just that Peyton Manning was towards the end of his career. He got hurt. They flatlined Had the first overall pick took Andrew Luck and they were immediately back to business. So do you want to be in purgatory? If your quarterback doesn't work out or do you want to set your team up for success? I think it's a really tight line to walk.
1: It really is. And it's kind of a worrisome one because, like you said, if the market doesn't dictate uh, that we can find a quarterback that can really lead our team to a deep playoff run, then what are we doing? We're just kind of like the Giants, kicking the can down the road. Uh, sure, the Colts got Matt Ryan this year, uh, and maybe they're good enough to make a playoff run. We don't know. Uh, it, but at the same time, it's just like, how much more can they do? what what else can they do to the quarterback? Because they're a good enough team that they're going to win. So it, it really puts them in a, in a position where they're just stuck going after whoever's available in the market to really get them to where they want to be. But the market really is unpredictable. You, you can't rely on that year in and year out. And I don't think it's really sustainable. So, yeah, let's say our team is successful other than Zach and we have to move on from Zach, then we're pretty much following the same, the same timeline as, as the Colts at that point. It's, it's really just finding that vet to really just fill in until maybe we flatline and are in a good position again. It's,
0: it's, it's not what I'm comfortable with at all. No, it's not a comfortable situation. And I think it's a reality that we have to face. Looking at all of this, what's been the one common theme, Matt? Quarterbacks. Quarterback, yep. And you can make successful draft picks, and you can have good players on your roster, and you can amass talent, and you can fix problems, and you can improve in in areas that you need to improve. But if you don't have a quarterback, it's not going to matter. And the second you get the quarterback, it's like everything else falls into place. Zach Wilson has to succeed. And it's kind of a a, a daunting thing to say that, but he has to thrive. Average isn't going to be good enough. A team, if they're built well and he is average, they're going to be in purgatory of never being good enough to get over the hump. And I'm sure a lot of Jets fans would like that after years and years of misery, but do we really just want to be good enough or do we want to be great? I don't want to be satisfied with we're above where we were. And now, you know, we can fight for the playoffs or we might get into the wild card. I'll be satisfied with that with this year, but that's not where I want it to end. And I think the perfect way to, you know, wrap that up is look at the Buffalo bills. They went 10 and six in Josh Allen's second year. They made the playoffs. They had done what they could to support him, uh, give him help on the offensive side of the ball. Their defense was still in place. They had a defensive head coach who had built that defense himself handpicked Crafted it to his own liking, ran the same scheme with the same players for years to where they know it inside, outside, forwards and backwards. And their defense plays great as a result. They have a quarterback who was set up for success with skill talent. Then they added Stefan Diggs. They said, we've, we've 10 and 6? Cool. That's not good enough. <laughs> That's that We're not satisfied with that. We weren't close to good enough. And I don't think if you look at what the Bills have done this last year after... I believe they won 13 games again. They were in the AFC championship or uh, in the AFC um, uh, conference or divisional uh, against the chiefs, which might as, which was nearly the AFC championship. If you look at how the Bengals won at the end, uh, bills were in going to be a super bowl contender this year. And they've added another superstar running back. Uh, who's a pass catcher and James cook. They've added a plethora of receivers and um, Jamison Crowder and Sh- Khalil Shakur. They've done a lot of things to improve their roster. They've never been satisfied surrounding their quarterback with as much talent as possible, even though now he's one of the best players in the league at his position. So end of the result for me, get your quarterback successful, because otherwise it's not going to matter what else good you do. Yeah.
1: I mean, it it comes down to plan and quarterback. When you look at the bills, they've got the plan and they've got the quarterback. When you look at the the passer. You've got a plan, but you're unsure at quarterback. And then you look at the Giants, you have no plan and no quarterback. So where we fall right now is somewhere between the Giants and the Colts. Uh, but that could very easily move up to, to between the Bills and the, and the Colts if Zach really is the guy that we think he can be.
0: Yeah, I really think it can. I think there is a lot of room for improvement, and I think it can happen fast. But I think, realistically, if you're looking here and you're comparing the records of all of these uh, teams, Joe Douglas is the worst record of these four GMs over his first three years. Yeah. He's only won 13 games. Dave Gettleman won 15. I'm not saying that that is good. It's not. And it's a reflection on winning the offseason not always mattering. But the one thing that I can fall back on that I know for sure is that there is a plan. And when there is a plan and a vision, it can buy you patience. And I really think that's why you see so many Jets fans love Joe Douglas, and rightfully so, and think he is the best person they've had leading their organization in quite a long time, even though statistically it doesn't necessarily look that way. So this is going to be a really, really big year. And I think that's another reason as to why fans are so excited because this is the year we're expecting to see all of those off-season wins turn into in-season wins and actual results on the field. Robert Sala said it himself uh, in the One Jets drive clip of them starting their off-season program. They have a gap to close. They're zero and twelve in the division in the last couple of years. They were thirty second on defense and points allowed. Their point differential was like one hundred and sixty uh, minus one hundred and sixty or something. They were outscored by almost thirteen points a game on average. And you know all of their losses, they have a gap to close. Statistics are you know, winning the offseason is great, but it hasn't shown up in numbers. And this needs to be the year where we start to see it show up in numbers. Otherwise, it's going to be completely fair to wonder if this is the right people and the right guy in Joe Douglas to be making the plan. And I can't believe that I'm saying that. That's the crazy thing is I feel like that's blasphemous to sit here and say, (laughs) we could be looking for a new general manager sometime in the very near future. At my core, I don't think that's going to happen, but the numbers say something very different.
1: Yeah, right now we're we're to to take a line from uh, apocalypse now. We're snails slithering across the the edge of a razor blade right now. We're we could fall on either side at any time whether we're horrible and need to start over or a budding superpower in the AFC. And it's kind of nerve-wracking and exciting at the same time.
0: Uh And I really just can't look forward to it enough. Oh, I know it is. It is absolutely killing me waiting in anticipation to see what this team is going to look like and see if all of this is going to pay off or not. Uh, And I think a really good way to end that really quick would be to go through Douglas specifically. And we've gone through all these other guys, but let's do a quick little recap over Douglas and really lay out what he's done and and view it all as a whole and, and try and see why that hasn't resulted in the wins that we think it maybe should have. So we go to year one. He's got Adam Gase. He's going into year three of Sam Darnold. Year two, they go seven and nine under Gase. Darnold has mono to start the year, plays better than he did as a rookie overall, but maybe not better at his best. I would say peak Darnold throughout his pro career has been his last four weeks of his rookie season. And overall, in 2019, there was some sparks of success, but it wasn't necessarily consistent enough to give people worries. But a lot of issues were on the offensive line, and it was very hard for their offense to succeed. So they add Mekhi Becton, they add George Fant, they add Connor McGovern. Douglas has his plan to attack the offensive line. I believe they added Jamison Crowder that year as well and try and add some weapons. They draft Denzel Mims. There was a plan in place, and Joe Douglas said it himself, in protection and playmakers. He tried to execute it. It didn't work, I think, because some of those players were wondering if they're still going to be on the team now in a couple of years, showing that just because you did the right move doesn't mean that it's going to work out. And Adam Gase got in the way a lot. So I think if you look at that first year for Joe Douglas, not necessarily counting the draft, because I do think he had a lot of hands in the draft, but I almost want to call it a wash because the Gase situation and the Darnold situation basically just made it a moot point. It really did.
1: I don't really like attributing 2019 to Douglas since he was hired in, what, June 2019? I believe it was the start of June. So, I mean, that team really wasn't his team. He was kind of just there and really just building towards the draft at that point. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it he really didn't get a chance to really put his stamp on this team until even after Gage was gone, even though he had control in 2020. It, it wasn't until he had somebody that shared that vision with him, uh, Sala able to really feed into exactly what Douglas wants to do. Uh, I, I don't think either one would say the other uh, really influenced uh, them to pick something. I feel like they're just been lockstep this entire time. Uh, and, it, and it shows. And we, yeah, we, we've yet to really see anything. And that 2020 draft, Really hasn't been that great when you look back at it. No, uh, it hasn't. It has not been great at all. Uh, but at the same time, there's still a lot of potential there. Uh, we, I feel like, have only cracked the surface of Bryce Hall at quarterback. Back then, we've still cr- haven't cracked the surface of what he's capable of either. Mims, yep. who knows? Maybe this is the year he finally put, puts it all together. It might not be on our team, but maybe he puts it all together. Ashton Davis and. A safety that also had uh we all had high hopes for that hasn't really turned it on. Maybe this is the year for him. There's so much talent that hasn't been uh realized yet, and it may never be realized, and that's the scary part. And that if, if 2020 is a wash season, then it, it's 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 worrisome just because we kind of need that talent. Yeah, we had a great offseason this year, but at the same time, wasting an entire draft, it sets you back. It's it's not just like, oh, well, we we can just keep go forward with what we have a a draft like that, where you have how many picks was it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine picks. And if none of them work out, that's that's a travesty right there.
0: Yeah, it absolutely is. And I think this is an important point to make. And I I think you're already making it. I just think I could maybe phrase it in a different way. Please. When you mess up a draft, it doesn't just like, it's not kind of like a, oh, that didn't work out. We're in the same place we were before. You're not, you're behind you. it, It puts you further behind than you were before because the jets now assuming this 2020 draft class doesn't work out, are going to need a new starting tackle next year. And the whole point was fix the offensive line, draft Makai Becton to be the tackle of the future. That was Joe Douglas's first ever draft pick. If you're going back and having to do that again, if the team is now more improved, you might be more out of range of getting one of those top tackles. You might have to spend more in free agency because that's the only thing that's going to be available to you. Your options are different than what they were When you were in that position, however many years prior with that same need, the Jets were in a position in 2020 to land Mekhi Becton at 11 overall, they were in a position with Jacksonville, they had a trade set up to get to nine to take Jedrick Wills, if they were worried that somebody or Becton if they were worried if somebody else was going to be off the board, and they weren't going to have their option at tackle. For all we know. They won't have the freedom or the flexibility or the financial or cap space or anything else if they have other moves that are successful to go up and solve that problem as easily. And so I don't think this is a situation where you can look at an entire draft class basically giving you nothing and say that it doesn't put you back in a lot of areas. It's not just a, well, we didn't get anything from that. And so it's like, it's a zero. No, it's a negative. Yeah, it's all a domino effect. It affects everything going forward. Yeah, it really does. And you look at going forward, that's when you start to see things look different. And once Robert Sala got in that building and they looked at what they needed to do, they attacked it. They add Corey Davis because they knew they needed help on offense. We're hoping to see improvement from him, but that was a smart signing for a guy that fit the scheme that they were trying to run that an all thought process would be the type of guy they're looking for on offense. They make the decision to move on from Sam Darnold They say, we're going to be in lockstep. We're going to start over. We're going to reset and build this in our image and our vision from the ground up. We're not going to leave too many holdovers from what we did prior because we need everything to be done in our image. And that's what they did. And it started with the quarterback. Like we've said so much uh, recording this, that they knew they had to get their guy and they weren't sold on Darnold. Joe Douglas didn't draft Sam Darnold. Joe Douglas didn't put his hand in the pot and say, This is the guy I'm hitching my wagon to and, and putting my career on. He didn't want to put his career on Sam Darnold any longer. And he fell in love with the talent of Zach Wilson to make him think that that was going to be the best thing to do. Well, it turned out Robert Sala felt the same thing. That's a vision. That's a plan. They make that decision. They trade Sam Darnold. They take Zach Wilson and immediately start trying to support him. They trade up to get Elijah Vera Tucker. They make sure they draft Elijah Moore. They take Michael Carter in the fourth round. Bang, bang, bang. Three in a row. Here's protection and here's two playmakers. Now let's look at this next year. We've gone through the rookie season. Zach Wilson played okay in spurts, had some great moments towards the end. We're all hopeful and confident. They went overboard giving him weapons. They they went overboard supporting him this offseason. (laughs) It's just like what the Buffalo Bills did in Josh Allen's second year, where they had Offensive line help in Lakin Tomlinson, you're supposedly getting Makai Becton back and healthy, and hopefully that's going to be a big help, assuming that that is the case. If not, we already discussed how that's going to go. You add a new receiver in Garrett Wilson, you resign Braxton Berrios, you draft Brees Hall to be a, another explosive running back, you sign two tight ends and draft another one. I, what more do you want to support your second-year quarterback? This is the vision. And based on the vision, you can't ask for anything else. So growing off these two years, it's really hard to judge off one year of rookies where we haven't seen their year two yet. And rookie players that we haven't seen play yet. But what we've seen is that there is a clear vision in place between Robert Sala and Joe Douglas. And we're starting to see through flashes results on the field a little bit. We've seen even, I can't remember the last time the jets went four had four wins and people were this excited for them. Right.
1: Yeah. It, it was not much that we've seen in the win column, but, At the same time, I've never looked at an offensive depth chart and been like, wow, we have no holes really right right now. (laughs) Where's the problem? We have no position where we're like, well, we still need a starter here. No. Every single starting position on that offense is filled and has depth. I, I There isn't a single position that I can look at other than tackle maybe. Actually, no, definitely tackle where I can be like, all right, we're good. And even if somebody gets hurt, we're still good. Tackle is pretty much the only spot. I still expect us to bring somebody else in. Uh, and they've even put out feelers for another yep. tackle. So it, it, they see what we see as well. And just knowing
0: that is comforting. That is, you just said what I've been trying to say through this whole podcast, is that they see what we see. And that we like to think that, we know the game and we like to think that we can be aware and invested as we are to understand the issues and what needs to be done to make this team better. And it seems like the people in place and the people making the decisions have those same ideas. So I'm overall, if I had to put a grade on Joe Douglas and I had to throw it in with a, this is what we're doing. And I'm stamping down and, and over his first three years as a general manager, what am I giving him? I am giving him a B. And the reason I am giving him a B is because from a plan angle, I can't ask for more. But it hasn't resulted in wins yet for me to say it's an A, and I can't give a GM an A with 13 wins in three years. No, you just can't.
1: You just can't. It's just so much that hasn't been realized yet that it's it's impossible to to really go full throttle. Joe
0: Douglas is a god
1: because we need. I can't do that yet.
0: We need to see it work out. Absolutely. We need to see it work out. And I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. I don't think there's anything nope. wrong with, with being realistic about that. And to be quite honest, I think if you asked Joe Douglas, I think he'd be a harsher critic than we are. Oh sure. how would he grade his own tenure? He'd go, we've 13 wins in three years. We went we went four and 13 last year. We were 32nd ranked defense. Our offense was 29th. We weren't good enough. I don't think he's satisfied with his performance. And I think that's even more fuel as to why he tries so hard and we saw him try so hard this offseason. Where it was, we don't care. We'll trade up multiple times. We're going to go get the players that we want that know that we're confident that are going to make us win. We're going to sign free agents and spend a lot of money, the second most money of any team, to go and get guys to improve our roster. We'll be in on Tyree Kill because we have the, finance, the flexibility and draft capital to do it. When that doesn't work out, okay, we'll trade up twice in, in the top 40. Joe Douglas has his plan, and he knows that this offseason is basically put up or shut up for him. That if the I've wins don't start this, piling though, up... Yeah, go ahead. That
1: if, let's say, things don't work out with this team, that a lot of the additions that we've seen really just fall through, I'll be very disheartened because it would be hard to really ask for anything more. Like everything we've wanted, we've gotten. So if that happens where we get everything we want and it still doesn't work out, it's like, what do we
0: do from there? Like, what else can we do? That is going to be a situation I'm hoping we don't have to come to because you're right. I, like we've said now all night, we haven't seen any holes in the sound and the thought process. All the reasoning is sound. The plan is obvious. They have an idea and a role for every single player that they've added to the roster and they know exactly what they're planning to do and exactly how they're going to use them and exactly how they're going to make their team better. Uh, for a long time, the new England Patriots won a lot, a lot of games and yes, their quarterback was great, but they won a lot of games under the mantra of do your job. And I've talked about this on this podcast before. All that means is we as a team are only going to ask you of you, the player to do what you are capable of and what you are best at. And all you have to do is go out and do what you're good at and do your job and do your part and let us put you in the best position to succeed. You just go do the job you're assigned. That's what the jets are trying to be. They're trying to have a very, very similar type of structure where everyone has a role that's very specific and everyone has a, a purpose that's beneficial to the team. And if it doesn't work out, I don't know what to say because I don't see any reason why it wouldn't. Logically, it seems like there should be some improvement. And so if this absolutely bottoms out, then likely, based on what we've seen, Matt, it's because the quarterback failed. Yeah. I, it, unfortunately, that's what it is. And
1: it would be sad to see, too, because it, it, the blame would need to fall on somebody. And at least if it is just Zach Wilson, that is the issue. That is the reason why we're losing. Then you know what? I think JD and Sala, they still get another chance because really at that point, it's like, well, look at what we've done. Everything else has been kind of clicking. It's all just been Zach. So if they can make Zach, the scapegoat in that kind of situation, then I think they can survive a little bit longer, but not too much longer. That
0: leash will be extremely short. I think it's possible, but I'm going to be honest. I'm not 100% convinced that they would survive it because Zach Wilson was their decision. Yeah. It's, if he fails, they went all in for him. That was their chosen quarterback, both of them. And so it's if yes, if you can make him the scapegoat and everything else seems to work, then you can kind of make the argument that, well, these guys have to know what they're doing somewhat because everybody else is thriving. And it's just this one guy who isn't doing it. And you can personally turn around and say, "Okay, Zach, you're just not playing well. And that's on you. But at the same time, do you also then have to put some blame on Joe Douglas and Robert Sala for being the people that were convinced Zach Wilson was right from the start? Oh, absolutely. You you would have to. But at the same time, it's like, well, the vision's working.
1: It's just one player. And if that's the, the case, you would have to still be at least a little encouraged with what they were able to do. Uh, yeah. And, and at that point, we're the Colts. We're still At that just... point,
0: we're the Colts. Yep. yep. That's what it is. At that point, we're the Colts. Right now, we are teetering between being the Colts and being the Bills. And it's going to be up to our quarterback to see how it plans out. Fun times are ahead. Fun times are ahead. Absolutely. Uh, I am very happy for this offseason to be wrapping up very soon. We are just a couple of weeks until training camp starts. I think the rookies report on either the 16th or 19th of July, uh, sometime before the 20th. I know that. And then the 26th, I believe, is the first official day of training camp. I cannot wait. I am so excited to see how this team takes shape and takes form. I'm going to try everything in my power to not get excited about training camp reports and who is doing well and who is not doing well, uh, because that is bait. And I fall for it every year (laughs) and I am recovering and I'm trying to be better. And I am here on this podcast to say that I need everyone's help in holding me to that. We sure will try. (laughs) Well, thank you guys so much for listening. This has been a really fun episode. I always love these deep dives where we get to go back and really analyze things from a wide angle uh, view as a whole and really get into the nitty gritty of, of how the NFL works. So once again, thank you for listening. You can find me at Andrew golden underscore 17, Matt, let's go ahead and drop your handle. Let's get out of here, Matt. You can find me at Zazzy Jets and make sure you guys are following at OKD podcast as well for the latest news and updates on any new episodes to come out. Thank you all one more time. And we will be back real soon. Bye-bye.